Hey, it's Elahe. I wanted to tell you that over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing from some really great guest hosts from around the Post newsroom. Some of them will be new voices and some familiar, and you'll be hearing from me too, of course. Today, we've got my colleague Lizzie Johnson, who brings us this really fascinating story out of Las Vegas. It's a story another investigative reporter had been working on until he was killed. So, a warning. This story has several descriptions of graphic violence, so please take care while listening. Okay, here's Lizzie. I did this story for another journalist. His name was Jeff Gehrman, and he was an investigative reporter at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He was killed in September of last year. The 69-year-old investigative journalist covered crime and corruption there for decades. And co-workers call Gearman a fearless journalist. This morning, a Las Vegas politician now formally charged with murdering an investigative journalist. A local official, who Gearman had been reporting on, has been accused of murdering him outside his home. The Post had reached out to the Las Vegas Review-Journal asking if there was anything we could do to help. Garriman's editor said he had started working on another story right before he was killed. He'd gotten a tip about an alleged Ponzi scheme that preyed upon members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more commonly known as Mormons. Many of them were located in the Las Vegas area, and so it became known as the Mormon Ponzi scheme. His editor asked for help finishing the story. From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Monday, March 6th. I'm Lizzie Johnson, an Enterprise reporter at the Post. And for the last few months, I've been reporting this story that Jeff Garriman planned to pursue before he was killed. Today, we explain how more than 900 people invested an estimated total of $500 million into this alleged Ponzi scheme over the course of five years and why the guys who allegedly ran this operation are still walking free. This story really starts around 2017 with an attorney named Matt Beasley. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for uh, making Beasley was a lawyer living in Las Vegas. He was born and raised in the Kansas City area. He's white, has a goatee, and is soft-spoken. And he had a problem. He had a ton of debt from gambling. So, according to a conversation he had with the FBI, he came up with an idea to pay off that debt. He reached out to a friend who he had once represented, Jeff Judd, to tell him about it. He told me about his relationship with Judd on the phone in January. I met him years and years ago. He, he, our sons are the same age and play soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also a coach. Became we became friends. I've known him for uh, probably yeah, probably ten to twelve years. Beasley told Judd he had an investment opportunity to share. Here's how he said it worked: Say someone slips and falls and hurts themselves outside a business like a hotel. They can file a lawsuit against the business, and if they win, they'd be awarded money, which is called a settlement. But it can take a while to actually get paid, which is where Beasley's idea comes in. 
He allegedly told Judd that he knew other lawyers looking for people to front some of that money to their clients. That means people don't have to wait for their settlements. But they do have to pay a high interest rate on that loan. Beasley said this was pretty risk-free because settlements are guaranteed money. Investors would get their money back after 90 days. The only problem was that according to the Securities and Exchange Commission, who is in charge of, in part, protecting investors, this investment opportunity was totally made up. The SEC says Beasley's slip-and-fall loan business never existed. No one was getting hurt and awaiting a settlement. Instead, Beasley and Judd were pocketing the money, according to that SEC complaint and allegedly paying their investors with money from new investors. In order to make sure those new investors got paid, they'd have to recruit even more investors. If this sounds unsustainable, it's because it was. And it's a classic example of a Ponzi scheme. If you're still a little confused about how this worked, you aren't alone. The investors didn't know the details either. All they knew was that they were getting paid. According to the SEC complaint, Beasley was the architect, and Judd, he became the salesman. Jeff Judd didn't respond to requests for an interview with me, so it's unclear whether he knew about Beasley's plan, though the SEC has said Judd either knew or was negligent in not knowing. But what is clear is that Judd saw a business opportunity, and that business became known by the moniker J&J. There were more than a dozen people helping Judd sell the idea. A heads up, it's kind of hard to keep track of the salesmen we hear in this story. Their names and voices sound really similar. But the important thing to remember is that they were all getting people to invest in the same idea. Judd is Mormon, and so many of the people he and his team approached belonged to the LDS church. It didn't take long for people to start investing in J&J. And Judd's business started to take off. One of the lower-level marketers in the scheme, Shane Jager, brought in people like Ann Mabius. Uh, we went on a big trip to Mexico with a couple other couples, and we rented this big house, had a chef. It was awesome. And that's when he talked to us about the investment. We had, we'd known them for a while. Not super close like that, but we'd known them for a while. Had kids the same age. You know, like the LDS, we lived a couple blocks from each other in the same state. At the time, Mabius was a stay-at-home mom. She took care of her four kids, drove them to baseball practice. She said she and Jager ran in the same circles, and they were both Mormon. He made the investment seem really exclusive. I just trusted him because everything he touched basically turned to gold. He, he was successful with everything he did, it seemed like. And so I was like, wow, we're really lucky to be involved in this investment, you know? This is a classic example of an affinity fraud, which is basically when people within an identifiable group, like the elderly or an immigrant community, are exploited. Because there's often a higher level of trust within these groups, members aren't necessarily suspicious of others who, say, might pitch you on an investment. That's what happened to Ann Mabius and so many other Mormons who got roped into this alleged scheme. She felt really safe because the guy selling it to her said, oh, my family is invested too, and so are all of my closest friends. 
And those are people that she knew as well. So it seemed like a sure thing. Like, why would her friend take advantage of her? Oh my gosh, there were a ton of red flags, but because you're friends and because you're at the same church and, you know, you trust them, those red flags are heart-shaped. You know what I mean? You're just thinking it's coincidence. It's not, or you're not thinking at all, really. It's probably more like it. You're just not thinking. All Mabius knew is that the money she and her husband invested was yielding big returns. And she wasn't the only one. Judd and his team ended up recruiting hundreds of investors. So at this point, a few years in, things are going pretty well for Beasley and Judd and the other marketers who are involved. Millions of dollars are coming in. They're buying these beautiful homes in Southern California, in the mountains of Utah, just outside of Las Vegas. Judd buys this home overlooking the Strip. He and Beasley bought a private jet, luxury vehicles, and are just living large. The scheme has gotten pretty big, and so have their lifestyles. One of the ways J&J was able to become so successful was that it was kept quiet. It spread through word of mouth. But then, one day in 2020, someone started asking questions. A Salt Lake City attorney became alarmed by his friend's investment paperwork and reported it to the SEC. The agency started investigating. And then, about a year later, an accountant in Washington state caught wind of it too. He had an idea. Who do you call when there's a Ponzi scheme that needs investigating? Nate Anderson. Hey, Nate, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm excited to talk with you this morning. Anderson is 38. He lives in New York City. And you wouldn't necessarily think he's the kind of person involved in investigating major financial fraud. I have been doing like Ponzi scheme research, I think since well, 2014. But he's even worked with the whistleblower who tried to warn authorities about Bernie Madoff, the Wall Street guru who defrauded investors out of billions of dollars in what was the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Anderson just loves exposing fraud and doing right by people. I view it as sort of a, an emperor has no clothes situation where once you see that something is, is horrifically wrong and you see that others are kind of enraptured with a, a lie and and buying in and investing their their hard-earned money or their savings, um, it definitely stirs something up. So in 2022, Anderson decided to look into this scheme in the Mormon community. And right away, he knew something was weird. Um, I'm curious, so in terms of the Ponzi schemes you've seen, how sophisticated was J&J? So, I almost hate to say it, it was one of the, the more obvious ones that I've seen. Probably the most obvious that I've seen, it was really clear that this was just fake. It had all the trappings of a classic Ponzi scheme. Interest payments arrived on time never late. There were no defaults. Investors were told it was almost zero risk, and the promised returns, 50% annually, were almost unheard of. It all seemed too good to be true. But in order to hold anyone accountable, 
he had to get proof. Anderson makes money, in part, by giving this evidence to the SEC. Through a program created by Congress in the aftermath of the financial crisis, whistleblowers like him are sometimes eligible to receive a portion of the sanctions collected by the SEC. J&J had done pretty much all their business via word of mouth. There was no website, no marketing materials. So Anderson had to get one of the marketers to give him a pitch on tape. It turns out, hunting down and exposing this alleged Ponzi scheme was sort of a logistical nightmare. Early on, Anderson spoke with a lower-level marketer, Jason Young Award. He gave Anderson the pitch, but at the time, Young Award was on a trip in Washington state, a state where both parties have to agree for a phone call to be recorded. So Anderson took notes, but could not legally record the phone call. So I had to kind of had to kind of come up with a way to have the same conversation except in a, a one-party consent state without without being like, hey, can you just fly to, you know, a one-party consent state and just give me that same pitch again? Anderson says he's planning to visit family in Utah, where Young Award lives, and asks if they can meet up. Utah happens to be a one-party consent state, meaning Anderson can record the call without Young Award's permission. He wanted to make sure that's where he would actually be. Then, at the last minute, he asked Young Award to switch to a phone call instead. Hey, Jason. Sorry. Hey, I, how I don't you know doing? It's too late. I'm good. I'm good. How are no, you? No, I'm doing great. I just wanted to make sure I didn't uh, fail to put a meeting down for us. I, I didn't no, have anything no. on my calendar today. So, yeah, not on you. No, no, no. My travel plans got completely um, pushed, but um, but I figure I, I think we're pretty good on docs overall. So, real, really quick, I, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. I took some notes from our last call. Um, yeah, I wanted to see actually. So, I, I ran it by my wife, of course. I kind of tried to give her the basics, but um, if you have a couple minutes, if you kind of give her the, just the basic overview, yeah, um, I'm happy to do that. Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. I mean, I think the performance really, a lot of people are like, gosh, it sounds so good. It's too good to be true. Uh, where's the risk uh, here? And we we just don't see much risk there because of, you know, insurance companies and... Step one, done. He got a lower level marketer to explain the investment. But now Anderson needed to get one of the people at the top of the alleged Ponzi scheme, like Jeff Judd. Otherwise, Judd could feign ignorance of the whole operation. Just say he didn't know. Anderson decided that one of Judd's high school classmates would pose as a whale. Essentially, a businessman with a lot of money to invest. The whale, Mark Holt, was someone Judd would probably want to talk to. Holt is a successful Salt Lake City entrepreneur. He runs a private aviation business. Anderson organized the meeting between Holt and two lower-level marketers on one of Holt's private planes. Some pretty outrageous claims they made sure to duck the whole thing out in surveillance gear. A camera in a tissue box, a mic tucked in a bowl of mints. You probably have a little more practice than I do. Well, you know, the, just the basic structure is when an individual has a personal injury claim and they reach that settlement point, uh, there's a 90-day waiting period there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
Jeff, J&J Purchasing, and Matt Beasley, you know, they've, they've created relationships across the globe with... Holt listened to the pitch firms. and asked questions so as they all ate salads and sandwiches. But Holt said he still wasn't sure, and that if he was going to invest a lot of money, like $50 million, he would need to talk to someone higher up. Uh, this is the Jeff Judd, huh? <laughs> Jeff from a long time ago. Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, I when I first heard your name, I thought that's how he eventually managed to get on the phone with Jeff Judd, the top salesman who allegedly started J and J. What risks do you see, if any? In my mind, I'm trying to figure out which bucket of my portfolio that I would put this in. You know, I've been putting it in the high risk bucket. Um, so anyway, I, I want to get a feel for that. Um, yeah. I- it, of course, there's a risk in everything. We just have never had any. We've never. I, I mean, we have a padding that the attorney and I have in case some do go bad. Because if we don't want anybody to lose money, we'll take care of it. But we just have never had to use it. We've never had one go bad. Step two complete. Anderson had the tape of Judd he needed, and handed it over to federal authorities, the SEC and the FBI. We did observe FBI agents entering what appears to be one of the only homes on the block with their floodlights lighting up the home after the sun set. Authorities had gathered enough evidence to start executing search warrants in March of 2022. FBI agents went to Jeff Judd's house first, taking cell phones, computers, $400,000 in cash, and more. And then they visited Matt Beasley. When the FBI showed up, Beasley answered the door with a gun in his hand. He held it to his head. After the break, the aftermath of the FBI raids, and what happened to the hundreds of investors like Ann Mabius. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial monarchmoney.com slash podcast. FBI agents arrived at Matt Beasley's door, according to a criminal complaint against him, on March 4th, 2022. The three FBI agents said he pointed the gun at them. Beasley said that didn't happen, but the agents felt threatened and shot him in the chest and the shoulder. Beasley was taken to the hospital, and then... He was taken to Nevada Southern Detention Center for assault on a federal officer. Everyone in town heard the FBI was there that day, including Ann Mabius. 
She was at Starbucks with a friend when she heard about the raids. Word is spreading like wildfire, right? People are texting in left and right. Their phones are blowing up. This was the moment when Mabius and a lot of other investors realized that this whole thing was crumbling. Investors were panicking. They couldn't get their money back. I saw the Ponzi scheme money. My nest egg was always going to be there. I, but no, it's like the dividends and the nest egg invested are, everything's gone. Mabius and her husband had put a lot of money into J&J. In 2021, they got divorced. But she kept earning dividends off those investments, which allowed her to keep being a stay-at-home mom. It seemed like the ideal setup. But when J&J fell apart, all that changed. Now, a year later, Mabius is working, trying to make money as a realtor. But she's been struggling. I caught up with her on a trip to Las Vegas. We went to her church's food pantry, called the Bishop's Storehouse, to pick up some free groceries. Oh, see, like, it comes in, like, bagged chicken. Is that frozen chicken? Yeah. Her life looks completely different now. She used to be able to throw big birthday parties for her kids and take them on summer vacation. But now she's thinking of every meal in dollars and cents. So much so that she's grateful when her kids go stay with their dad. I also can't... This is a weird situation because as a mom, you want your kids all the time. Like, that is just... It's just, like, the normal bond, I think. Mm -hmm. But when you are worried that you aren't having income and you don't have a nest egg anymore... um, My nest egg is extremely small right now. You are... I mean, the more they're there, the more money they are, right? Like, mm-hmm. birthday parties, um, geez, friends over, um, lunch, breakfast, dinner. It's food that worries me the most. Mabius and other victims are still waiting to get their money back from a court-appointed receiver. Uh, as you, most of you know, my name is Jeff Winkler. I am the court-appointed receiver for uh, the SEC versus J&J Consulting Services, Inc., and the 29 other defendants involved in the case. This is a guy who essentially takes all those properties and assets owned by the marketers, sells them, gathers the money, and disperses it back to the victims. Uh, My job as receiver is not to determine who is guilty or who is innocent or who was, uh, you know, who was involved in in perpetrating what's happened. Uh, But my job is to protect investors to get back uh, money related to the the scheme and ultimately get back, uh, give that back to investors. As of this January, the court has recovered about $90 million in assets. That's only a fraction of the approximate $500 million stolen. And it could take several years for people to get all of their money back, if they ever do at all. Hello, you have a prepaid call from... Matt Beasley. An inmate at Nevada Southern Detention Center. Beasley is still at Nevada Southern Detention Center. He's there for that federal charge of assault against an officer. I talked to Beasley a few times most recently in January. 
know, I mean, I've I've gambled my whole life, well before I moved to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you realize you have a gambling problem until you either can't pay your booking or your your bills. That's always kind of been my thought on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the ramifications at this point are I've shot and in jail. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty much where I ended up. Mm-hmm. Jeff Judd and the rest of the marketers, they've only been charged in a civil complaint by the SEC. No one faces criminal charges in relation to the alleged Ponzi scheme yet. That's because the legal process for these kinds of cases can be slow. All the evidence that the FBI agents collected in the raids is part of an ongoing investigation. So right now, the other marketers are still walking free. And in the meantime... The victims like Mabius, their lives will never be the same. It's just shocking to me that, I mean, somebody that has, I mean, that I truly thought was my friend, essentially took all my money, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, unreal. I reported this story in honor of Jeff Gehrman, an investigative reporter at the Las Vegas Review-Journal, who was murdered last September. The print story was a collaboration between the Review-Journal and the Post and can be read in both newspapers. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Ariel Plotnick and edited by Lucy Perkins. It was mixed by Sean Carter. Thanks to Rena Flores, and also to the staff of the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I'm Lizzie Johnson. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post. Mm-hmm.